My text this evening will be Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Familiar words, I trust. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As we come to this section in Matthew's Gospel, Christ the Lord has opened up His ministry. The Gospel begins with a genealogy tracing that He is truly a son of David and a son of Abraham. He's been baptized of John in the Jordan River. He's been driven into the wilderness to do battle with Satan. And though he was tempted in many ways, he never sinned. He trusted in God the whole time. He's come and he's come to Galilee and he's preached those precious words to repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And from there he went about working many miracles. And as he's doing this, he gathers a crowd to himself. No wonder that he was doing things people hadn't seen. And as the crowds gather at the end of Mark's gospel, he goes alone and he prays. And after praying, he leaves the multitudes and goes to other cities. To preach, because that was what the Lord sent him to do. And here now, as his disciples gather together, he ascends up on a mount, they come near to hear his words, and he opens his mouth and teaches them. He begins preaching, and he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon. What it must have been to hear it. What it is to read it over and over again. And as the crowds are gathering, as they are looking up to the Son of God in the flesh, what is the first thing that He says? Blessed are the strong, are the mighty, are the self-assured? No. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He opens his ministry pronouncing blessings. And if you read ahead to the end of Luke's gospel, as he ascends up into heaven, he lifts his hands and blesses his disciples. The Son of God came to bring blessing. And the blessing comes to those who are poor in spirit. By God's grace, we'll take this text and unfold it and apply it to our hearts and lives. And one of the first things we need to ask is, what is blessedness? Blessing, or to be blessed, or blessedness, is a word that is often used, but I fear seldom understood. We often wish that the the Lord would bless somebody. Uh, In my part of the world, blessing or bless you is used so often it's lost all of its meaning. It's become an irreverent phrase. But what is blessedness? Well, to begin with, blessedness is rooted 
in God Himself. God is the supremely blessed one. We read in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15 that God is the blessed one or the only blessed one. Which is to say that God has a perfect, infinite, eternal, unchanging enjoyment of Himself. That God, as He is eternally existent in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He exists in blessing. He is all blessing. It's one of His attributes. The Father delighting in the Son. The Son delighting in the Father. And the Spirit proceeding from them both in a state of unending, perfect, infinite, eternal blessing. God enjoys Himself. God delights in Himself above all things. And if He delighted in anything or anyone else, that thing or that person would be greater than God. But God's blessing, God's blessedness shows us who He is. So blessedness is an enjoyment of God, as you might say. And this blessedness is bestowed upon sinners. This blessedness comes to sinners. We read that in Psalm 1, blessed is the man. And it goes on to describe that the man is blessed who delights in God and in His Word and doesn't walk in foolish ways. Psalm 32 describes the blessedness of the man whose sins are forgiven. And no wonder, because Christ, the Son of God, comes pronouncing blessings. He comes to give the blessing of God unto His people. He comes to take sinners and to enable them by His grace to enjoy and delight in God. And sinners, having received this blessedness and knowing something of an enjoyment of God, then bless the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Blessedness works in a similar way to holiness. Because God is the Holy One, we sanctify His name. And because God is the Blessed One in Christ Jesus, we bless His name. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come and He's pronouncing blessings. It's important to note here that what Christ is doing is not describing how to be blessed... But he's describing who is blessed. He is pronouncing the character of the Christian. This isn't a self-help guide. It's not a way to achieve your most blessed life now. No. God here is describing who are the blessed ones. Who it is that really enjoy God. Who it is that delight in Him. And who it is that shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes, in other words, 
They describe a Christian. They describe what it is to know, love, and serve God. And the first one that we have is poor in spirit. And before looking at this text, just think of how contrary this runs to everything we know as natural man. He's coming and he's pronouncing blessings. He's saying, here it is. Here's who's truly blessed. Here's the ones that enjoy God. Here's the ones that will inherit my kingdom. Here's the ones that enjoy my favor. Those who have nothing. And they know it. What is poverty of spirit? Perhaps it would be helpful for us if we came somewhat backwards. And describe, first of all, what is the opposite of poverty of spirit. What does it mean to be of a rich spirit or wealth of spirit? To be rich in spirit is to be self-sufficient. It is to be self-satisfied. It is to enjoy yourself supremely above all things and to be deluded into this horrible deception that that is something worth delighting in. It's full of self-love. Your whole life is centered upon yourself. It's self-centered. It is exalting yourself in your own eyes and considering yourself as someone who is worthy of recognition and of praise and of favor from God. Why? Because of who you are. Not God's grace, not the favor which He freely bestows, but because what you yourself have earned. The key ingredient of richness of spirit is to be self-righteous. It is to be what Jeremiah says, trusting in man, trusting in flesh, trusting in yourself. And this is the chorus of the world, isn't it? Isn't this the anthem we see all around us? Isn't this the drumbeat that leads not to the kingdom of heaven, but to the horrors of hell? Our whole world is filled with self-care, self-help, self-aggrandizement. And naturally, everyone in this room loves this message. We think of ourselves as being more high than we ought. There's an expression where I come from. When someone has an over, overdue estimation of themselves, we say, I wish I could buy him for what he's worth and sell him for what he thinks he's worth. Well, we all think we're worth more than we are. We love this message. It appeals to us. But the Bible in every case and in every instance warns against this. The Bible comes and it cuts us down. The axe is laid at the root of the tree of self-aggrandizement. He who loves himself and who loves his life will lose it. But it's only he that hates it shall find it. Now, where are some examples of self-love or richness of spirit that we see in the Bible? Benjamin Morgan Palmer, on this beatitude, he said, If ever there were a picture of self-aggrandizement and self-satisfaction, it would be that church in Laodicea. 
Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That is what it is to be rich in spirit. Another example from biblical narrative would be Haman. If ever a man was rich in spirit, it would certainly be him. And there in uh, Esther chapter 5, he gathers his friends and his families, his wife, and he tells them of all his riches, the multitude of his children. Think of it. He gathers his wife to tell her about all the children he has. And the things that the king promoted him. And how he advanced him above the princes and the servants of the king. And how the queen bestowed such favor upon him. And yet, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate, I cannot be happy. Because he doesn't see in me what I see in myself. This is rich in spirit. The rich fool who gathers wheat into his barn, who thinks he's earned it with his own hands, who is so satisfied with all the substance that he has accumulated, builds bigger barns and says to himself, take thy rest. And though he may have been rich in his wheat, he was not rich toward God because he did not know that that very night his soul would be required of him. This is what it means to be rich in spirit. And if it is to the poor in spirit that the kingdom belongs, then it is very safe to say that the rich in spirit have no part in the kingdom of heaven. They have no part in Christ Jesus. They have no part in God. That's what it means to be rich in spirit. But what of poor in spirit? Briefly, to be poor in spirit is not, as some Roman Catholics will say, to be blessed in spirit are the poor. They turn this around. And they make it that to be poor is in and of itself righteous before God or favorable toward Him. And the truth of the matter is, is that God is no respecter of persons. In the judicial law, He on the one hand says, you will not countenance a poor man's cause, neither will you treat him unfairly. He is no respecter of persons. And even if you should give all your goods away and have not love, it's a clanging brass and a sounding cymbal, it will not last. And this is important to note because in twisting the Scriptures and making poverty of wealth somehow spiritually acceptable to God, they have completely, though subtly, only increased the riches of the Spirit. Look at me. I gave my goods away. Look at me and all that I have done. Look at me. And though in a humble state... In terms of the world's good, their soul is lifted up. It's the exact opposite of everything the Lord describes. To be poor in spirit is not to be a coward. It's not to be soft. It's not to be light. It's not to go around parading in mass humility. 
It doesn't mean that you can't do anything well. If someone says you're good at math and you are good at math, it doesn't mean poor in spirit to say, oh, no, I'm not. I'm not good at math. To be poor in spirit, what is it? It's a spiritual self-awareness. It is to see yourself, not as you'd like to see it, but as God sees it. It is seeing who you are before God. Knowing it, accepting it, and though not perhaps embracing it, coming to grips with it. How does God describe the state of man? What does He say of man in His native condition? It's not a flattering picture. Man is unholy. He is without God in the world. He is sinful, which is to say he has a corrupted heart by nature, which he received from his father, and that this corrupted heart brings forth into all manner of sinful deeds. Sinful by nature, sinful by action. Filthy, not just a little sick. From the toes to the head and all things in between, the whole head is sick. And isn't this true? When you take God's law and you see that law that is exceeding broad, that searches us, that comes to us, and you examine your life before it, can you not see the anger against people unjustly? Can you not see the inability to be satisfied with the estate that God has given you? Can you not see your sluggishness and your slowness before God? Can you not see how often you are placing your hope not in God but on the things of this world? Can you not see a tongue which speaks evil of your neighbor? And can you not see... Uh, an inability to use whatever station you have, whether superior, inferior, or equal, as totally benefiting the other people before God. This is what it means to be a sinner. This is a lawbreaker. This is an enemy of God. An enemy. The Bible does not put it lightly. So on the one hand, we recognize those who are poor in spirit, who we are by nature. But the second thing that the Bible teaches is how able is one to remedy his condition. So it's one thing to know your condition. It's another thing to remedy it. And the Bible closes every door. Every door that we would seek to escape out of, every escape hatch in which we would like to maintain for ourselves some ability. We are dead in trespasses and sins. Unless we are born again, we cannot even see the kingdom of God, much less enter into it. Our ability to save ourselves is likened to an ability of an Ethiopian man to change his skin color or a leopard 
to change his spots. Both of these things are impossible. And so it is that a sinner cannot enter into the kingdom of God any more than a camel can enter into the eye of a needle. It is impossible with man. There is nothing that anyone here today can do of their own native powers to remedy their spiritual condition. You cannot build a tower up to heaven like the tower builders attempted. You cannot keep the law, for by the keeping of the law shall no flesh be justified. And you cannot make yourself acceptable to God. Because left to yourself, we are all enemies. And those who are poor in spirit, they take these things. They take this declaration, this clear testimony, and they see it. Not in their neighbor, not in their friend. They see it in themselves. Can you see this in yourself? Can you accept it? If your salvation depends in one measure upon you or your abilities, what hope of heaven do you have? If your hope of salvation, your entrance into the kingdom of heaven depends upon your law keeping, what hope do you have? Is your ability to keep the law tomorrow dependent upon you in any measure? The answer to all these questions is nothing and no. That is what it is to be poor in spirit. But this poverty of spirit in seeing oneself is then immediately captivated with the the vision of another. No sooner... Uh, do we see the emptiness that lies within ourselves, then we begin to see the fullness of someone else. God is the opposite of us in this respect. Whereas we are poor and empty, He is exceedingly rich. Whereas we are low, He is high and holy. Whereas we are unrighteous and ungodly, He is perfectly righteous, infinitely, eternally so. Justice and judgment are the habitation of His throne. There are dark clouds all around Him, and fire goes before Him, devouring all His enemies. Of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. The just avenger of sin, who by no means will clear the guilty, who is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of all our hearts, who knows our secret sins and sets them before the lights of His countenance, who has all power, all glory, all blessedness, and before whom we with our father Adam and all the rest have foolishly rebelled. And when these two things coalesce together, and you begin to see yourself, and you begin to see 
God. There is only one response. As Isaiah has a vision of the pre-incarnate Christ and the angels covering their eyes, flying with wings, and crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. As his train is filling the robe, there's Isaiah seeing God, and then he turns to himself and says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Paul, as he's writing to Timothy to encourage him, describes what sin is and what sinners are. The law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient, the ungodly and the sinners, unholy, profane, murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, manslayers, whoremongers, them that defile themselves with mankind, men-stealers, liars, perjured person, and if there be anything else that is contrary to sound doctrine, that's what a sinner is. And then just a few verses later, of whom I am chief. And yet... And there is a promise to those who are poor in spirit. There is a promise that the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. The promise is that of participation in the saving reign of God's Messiah. It is a promise of the ecclesiastical benefits of church membership... It is a promise of having God as your Father, and it is a promise of entering in at the final day the kingdom which God has prepared for all them that love Him. And this beatitude, it opens up all the character of Christians. The poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. Because they mourn. Because they're meek. Because they hunger and thirst after righteousness all the way down to the persecuted because theirs is the kingdom of heaven too. And why is that? Because when you come to this realization of your own native emptiness, of your own inability... And of God's fullness and His righteousness and His holiness and His sight of you. It's to be poor in spirit is to see yourself as you really are and to have the conscious awareness that God sees it and that God Himself has, a real, has a, a revealed it to you. That then you begin to look outside yourself. There's no hope in here. All hope must be somewhere else. Think of a drowning man. He's drowning. And with all his might, he's trying to stay afloat. And only at the last moment does he realize he's sure to drown. What does he look for but a raft? A lifeboat? A vessel? Something onto which he may grab? And those who are poor in spirit, they say, is there any hope for me? And the answer that is given, yes, poor sinner, there is hope for you in the one who says, blessed are the poor in spirit. There is hope 
in Jesus Christ and none other. There is hope in God the Son become flesh because He has everything we don't. And He has everything we need. He is a most perfect and most suitable Savior. There's nothing in Him that we'd want out of Him. There's nothing out of Him that we'd want in Him. He's everything. He's perfect. We have no righteousness, for we are lawbreakers. But friends, the Lord Jesus Christ has all righteousness. He has obeyed the law of God in every respect. He has fulfilled it to the jot and tittle. And He, by His own works and by His own ability, is able to ascend up to the mountain of the Lord. Because His hands are clean, His heart is pure, and He has not lifted up His soul to an idol. In every respect, perfect conformity to all God's righteous demands at every point in His life, never giving heed to Satan, never countenancing the world, but pure, total obedience. In our poverty of spirit, we have no love for God but only a love for self. But here is the beloved Son of God. Hear Him. Here is the one that says the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And He didn't just say it. He did it. In our poverty of spirit, we have no humility. We're all rich in spirit. We're all so wealthy in our spirit. But here is the Son of God who willingly lowered Himself. Who willingly came of a virgin. Who willingly emptied Himself. Who willingly made Himself of no reputation. Here is He that is meek and lowly, whose burden is easy and His yoke is light. In our own poverty of spirit, we have no strength. We can lift no finger for our salvation. We can do absolutely nothing. But here is the Son of God, who has received all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. Here is He whose arm is not short, that it cannot save. Here is He who speak, who spoke, and the worlds came into existence. Here is the One who divided the Red Sea. Here is the One who raised Lazarus. And here is the One who came pronouncing blessings. We have nothing to offer God in our poverty of spirit. Nothing that we can give to Him. And behold, the Lord Jesus Christ is the acceptable sacrifice. The Lamb of God which takes away all the sins of the world. The one on whom the iniquity of all God's people has been laid. And behold, it has been accepted. For He has risen from the grave. He has ascended up. He has led captivity Captive, And there He stands, willing to save to the uttermost all who call upon Him in faith. In our poverty of spirit, 
We have no spiritual blessings. We've forfeited them all. But behold, here is the one in whom we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. If you're poor in spirit, you begin to look outside yourself. You know that there's no hope in you. And know this, that all of your hope and all of your expectation depends upon God alone. And he asked this simple question, what do you think of Jesus? Will you take Him? And will you receive Him? And receiving Him, will you have life in God's name? And having life in God's name, will you receive the blessing of the Lord? There's a, an appeal that comes to us. It, it says, you won't be happy. Don't go there. Stay as you are. Continue in your own self-sufficiency. If you go to the Lord Jesus, you must turn from your sins. And you must. If you go to the Lord Jesus, you will have tribulation in this world. And you will. If you go to the Lord Jesus, you must forsake father, mother, sister, brethren, and lands. And you must. Oh, but all these things are so worth it to have the Lord Jesus Christ. Put all the kingdoms of the world in the balance. And they don't even begin to compare with having Christ. And having Him, having the blessing of God that comes with Him. Do you see your poverty of spirit? Can you say these things of yourself? Will you not deny yourself? Take up your cross that yourself may be crucified. That you may have the Lord. To attempt to go your own way. It will only lead to frustration, sadness, despair, and ultimately destruction. All under the false guise of being the better way. Can you not see the power of sin in your life? Will you refuse to acknowledge what God says of you? Will you seek more and more to have things your way? If you do, then know this. The kingdom of heaven is not yours. And yet, every Christian, every true believer who has been born of the Spirit is poor in spirit. Christ has come. And He has declared who are the blessed ones. And while there may be degrees of every beatitude, so for example, every Christian will hunger and thirst after righteousness, but we all know those who have a greater appetite than we do. Every Christian will be persecuted to varying degrees. And yet every Christian will know something of a hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And every Christian will know something of persecution. So whether you look within yourselves, do you see a poverty of spirit? 
Do you see the marks of these things? Do you rely on God through prayer? Do you commit your plans into the ways into the hands of the Lord? Do you acknowledge that though your heart may plan its way, yet the Lord directs the steps? Do you give Him uh, traveling prayers as you set off on your journey? Do you cast your hands into God? Before you go to a day's work, do you commit the day into His hands, knowing that you have no control over the events of the day? As you lay down at night, do you commit the day's work into His hands and trust that everything that you've done with great imperfection and much weakness and yet with sincerity, you may give them to Him knowing that He establishes the works of our hands. Do you give thanks for blessing and mercy? When you receive good, whether it be food, temporal mercy, housing, cars, any such things, do you say, it's true. Every good and every perfect thing comes from God, the Father of lights. He's bestowed upon me that which I do not deserve, and I thank Him for it. When you see grace in your life, as sins begin to fade away, and new sins come into view, do you think to yourself, God has been so good to me. I cried, and I confessed, and I gave it over. And with much longing and with much difficulty, I prayed that the Lord would take it from me, and behold, He has. Praise be His name. That is poor in spirit. Are you regularly confessing your sin? Are you regularly bringing it before Him? There's a lie that comes into our minds when the Lord puts His finger on a sin that we've cherished perhaps for a long time. And the lie is essentially that this sin makes us happy. That this sin is too precious to part with. That to do so would cause consequences, and perhaps it would. But those that are poor in spirit, recognize it. Remember God's sentence against it, and simply give it to the Lord and say, Take it, Lord. I'm poor in spirit. I'm not worthy of the least of thy grace, but thou hast given me grace upon grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm willing to undertake whatever difficulties may come. And perhaps the, the signature question, the most important question in poverty of spirit is, are you looking wholly, entirely, completely, without any reservation to the Lord Jesus Christ as the alone means of salvation. Of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, that according as, as it is written, we would glory not in ourselves, but let Him that glory, glory in the Lord." Willing to cast all of our crowns at the feet of Him who has accomplished salvation by His own right hand. And say it's the Lord. 
I could never have done it. He must do it. Well, friends, if you see it in your prayers, if you see it in your gratitude, if you see it in your own repentance, and you see it in a wholesale resting upon God and Christ Jesus for salvation, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are you, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. You might ask, how might you grow in poverty of spirit? And this is an important question. And one I trust that we should all endeavor after. Poverty of spirit is the beatitude that opens them all. And yet, our whole life on this side of glory will be one, God willing, in growing in greater and greater experiences of this poverty of spirit. And two things work together to engender in the soul of man a true poverty of spirit. And they are the exact same things that open the door to it. High thoughts of God and low thoughts of ourself. High thoughts of God and low thoughts of ourself. We must see God day by day as the high and holy one before whom all the heathen quake. We must see His infinite blessedness, His infinite and eternal power. We must come and bow before His holiness and His righteousness, remembering that He is the just God who does all things and does them all well. We must also see the goodness and grace and mercy of God shining brightly in the face of Jesus Christ, drawing us nearer and nearer to Himself with the constant reminder that the same God who cannot even behold the sinless angels is also He that pardons your iniquity and transgression and sin through the blood of the Savior. And with this high thought of God, the more we see of ourselves, and the more you begin to see sin, you are constantly reminded of the lifeboat which you grab at the very beginning of Christ to whom the Spirit drew you, and you go to Him again and again and again. You go to Christ because sin displeases God. And you go to Christ because you know that heaven and earth are met together in Him. And in poverty of spirit, you go and you say, Here is my salvation. Here is the Holy One of Israel. And this gives encouragement. And this gives strength. And this gives endurance to more and more driving the knife into our own wealth of spirit. Intentionally inflicting our souls. Intentionally searching our hearts. 
and by God's grace, confessing all the more, remembering this precious promise, that he that abases himself shall be exalted, and he that exalts himself shall be abased. So friends, as the Lord Jesus Christ comes and opens His ministry, as He opens His mouth and begins to teach His people, and as those lips which pour forth grace begin this sermon, He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. May God grant that this should be true of all of us. Let us stand for prayer.